Hey everybody, this is Laura. And I'm Haley. And you're listening to The Body Pod. Well, I'm so excited. While people are jumping on, um, I want to, I have a lot to cover. Okay. So, so we're going to try to get you out of here in 40-ish minutes. Okay. So we're going to get right to all of the good stuff but i am so excited i feel like now we've we've met before but this is the first time we're actually having a live convo that's right we're like like best friends (laughs) we're like best friends already so i'm so excited that you agreed to do this for me and for my audience so everyone was so excited i am gonna let you do a really quick intro uh so that people that aren't familiar with you will become familiar with you. Okay, go ahead. Um, well, my name is Ando. I'm a professor in the Faculty of Kinesiology and Health Studies at the University of Regina. That's in the western part of Canada. Um, I've been a professor since 2005. Um, and my main area of research, as we're going to talk about tonight, is creatine monohydrate supplementation in combination with exercise on muscle and bone health primarily. Okay. So you're literally, and I love how uh, I think Scott posted on the, the oh. live today, the uh, post, that you are the GOAT. So we literally have the best researcher on creatine. And I feel like creatine is having its moment mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in the spotlight right now. And um, you being the man of the hour, this is even, I, I couldn't ask. Or anything better so we are so excited to have you and to talk about this because i feel like it's it's still really misunderstood especially in the age range that i work with which is women almost 40 and beyond so i feel like there's a lot of myths and just women in general are really kind of nervous about taking a supplement so we're gonna dig into it deep here so Are you ready for the questions? Uh, Sure. Absolutely. Fire away. (laughs) (laughs) Fire away. All right. So first of all, for, for, I know a lot of people, when I mention creatine, they still don't even really know what it is. They've heard of the word, but can you just give like, give us a little history on creatine, how long it's been around and kind of what it is and what it does. Well, it was discovered in 1832 by a French biochemist by accident. And that molecule was discovered way before uh, adenosine triphosphate, which we're all familiar with ATP. And then it was kind of discovered, or looked at in the early 1900s that, hey, we discovered this molecule called phosphocreatine, but we have no idea what it really does. But it wasn't until the late 1990s where some seminal papers, and anybody in the creatine industry is familiar with Roger Harris and Eric Holtman, um, two of the greatest researchers of all time. And I appreciate your kind words, but I think I'm just a creatine messenger. There were so many people (laughs) before me that do such exceptional work. So I hope I'm a good messenger of the research. But they simply showed that this molecule is found in red meat and seafood. There's trace amounts in poultry. Uh, but we naturally produce it in the body, primarily in the liver, and also now new research suggests in the brain, and and that's a main focus area for research. But most people will consume creatine or heard of it from supplementation. Um, It was really designed for athletes to get bigger, stronger, faster, and now we're actually seeing pretty much anybody on the planet can benefit in some form or another from it. 
So to, to really answer your question, we produce it in the body, we can consume it in the diet if you do consume red meat or seafood, but most of us are probably familiar with the supplement. Okay, great. So would you say that it's like, if there was a miracle supplement that this would be it? Uh, I like the word supplement, the miracle out there is exercise, but if you had to add something to exercise, I think there's a few. Um, and creatine would probably be on that short list of a few. Okay, I love that answer. So, okay, if we, most women that know about it, they know that it's here and like you said, for power, for strength, for muscle recovery. So we know all of that. So let's actually stick to that topic and then we're gonna get to all of the other benefits that I think that people don't even have a clue yet with this. <laughs> research that's coming out all the time from you okay. and others <laughs> so when we're taking it why would a female benefit from taking creatine with their workouts well, well a few reasons for one females may typically emphasize more of a plant-based diet so they actually might have a lower amount coming in through the diet we think that females and males uh, synthesize the same magnitude of creatine naturally in the body but if they have a slight reduction from the diet and or depending on the age of the person they might not have as much creatine inside the body compared to a male although there is some evidence to suggest depending on the size of the muscle the concentration may be high so there's some evidence to suggest that uh, females respond very favorably to, to supplementation. In theory, there's no difference between males and females when it comes to muscle strength or uh, performance. There unfortunately is some evidence to suggest that females may not increase lean tissue mass the same rate as males, or we feel for some reason that females don't experience the anti-catabolic effects that males do. So we're not sure if it's a hormonal fluctuation. We don't know if estrogen is influencing uh, the makeup. Um, I've talked to this with Abby Smith-Ryan and we don't think so, but we're not sure because the research is in its infancy. But to answer your question, females respond very favorably, primarily from a muscle performance perspective which I think at the end of the day is what everybody's trying to achieve anyway. Yes, absolutely. We're all trying to hang on to, or that's my message, is to hang on to your lean mass, mm -hmm. your muscle for as long as possible and as much of it as possible. So one of the, one of the hiccups mm -hmm. that I get from women that do start taking it is the, the water retention. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you talk about this all the time, but some of them are just like, Haley, the scale went up. I'm like, but it's not fat. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so this is probably the most popular concern when it comes to creatine supplementation. And so I'll preface this. When we measure the amount of creatine, we're primarily measuring it on dry muscle. And unfortunately, your in, in relation to creatine, unfortunately, your muscle is about 75% water. So there's not a lot of room for creatine to go in there. Mm -hmm. At best, with supplementation, you may put 100 to 200 grams of creatine in your muscle. So it's not a lot. So yes, it is logical to expect that if you do increase mass on the scale, some of that is going to be water retention. Now, some does get into the cell, but it's logical that some would be extracellular or, you know, around the... 
other areas of the body that does subside after someone does take creatine. So I like your point. When you do take creatine and you may increase a little bit of mass on the scale, mm -hmm. please note that we're seeing from research, it's not fat mass. Uh, we can talk about that, how actually we've shown that creatine may have a small reduction in body fat percentage. Um, and some of the miracles, if you will, uh, from creatine or based on that water intake. So I'm really positive when someone says I'm retaining a little bit of water. Um, I say that's a good thing. It probably turns on a lot of the things from a molecular perspective. Okay. okay, that is fascinating. So what would you say, is there a way around the water retention and is the water retention only for maybe X amount of days or weeks? How does that work? Yeah, so so it, this is really important. So the loading phase by far is the type of strategy that's going to cause the most water retention. So if you say, hey, I don't want the water retention. I don't want to even risk it. I say, don't even worry about the loading phase. And that's very similarly, 20 grams a day for five to seven days. We only produce about two grams per day. So taking 10 times the amount of a compound is going to probably have some other effects. Mm -hmm. We get around that very easily by taking smaller repeated dosages. Now, this is an important distinction. When you look at muscle, the average person can respond extremely well, pretty much anybody on the planet from as little as three grams a day. So you don't necessarily need the loading phase. If you want to take as low as three grams a day from a muscle perspective, it's going to saturate the muscle in about 30 days. And you can maintain that with that little of a dose. Taking two to three grams of creatine will not cause any water retention from a noticeable effect. Um, now that's independent if you're taking creatine for bone or the brain, but from a muscle perspective, you hardly need any very small amounts to, to cause the effect. Okay. See, ladies, I hope you're listening in. So let's touch on the fat loss mm -hmm. component that, that could be reducing a little bit of body fat. What's the, re what's the latest research on that? So the mechanisms come from animal models and the theory was that creatine can stimulate some type of fat metabolism or whole body energy expenditure. So the theory is that if someone's taking creatine and of course exercising, could mm -hmm. they stimulate their metabolism or maybe their energy expenditure? And we've published a few papers now and one meta-analysis in older adults, 15 and above, and we have one in review with 50 or, uh, 49 years of age and lower. And we see no increase in body fat from creatine. We see a very, very, very small reduction in body fat percentage, which could be beneficial, but we think it's not clinically impactful. At the end of the day, we're gonna conclude that creatine probably has no uh, effect by increasing body fat. And if you do experience a, an increase or a decrease in body fat, we think it's because maybe muscle mass went up and that was mm -hmm. a driving force. That's sort of a rebound effect. Okay. I mean, so really, every female that's working out should be taking it. Well, I love that point. First, got to work out. If you take creatine without exercise, you may experience some cognitive effects, but you're probably not going to get any muscle or bone uh, benefits especially. So exercise is really important. And if you do take creatine, it can have some favorable effects on body composition. And that seems to be across the entire lifespan. Oh, I love that. Okay, so is there a specific type? We know, I mean, you mentioned resistance training and that's what I'm always pushing, but do you see that in cardio as well? Does it only happen with resistance training or what's the info there? Well, no, 
95% of all the good research is based on resistance training because you need that mechanical stimuli to cause the muscle to actually need or utilize creatine. There's been some studies to suggest that has favorable effects on endurance or aerobic type of sports that use intermittent or a long duration. But the vast majority suggests that weight training plus creatine can have probably the greater beneficial effects. And creatine was kind of designed for the anaerobic environment or for people watching, it's probably the high intensity um, sprinting or intermittent sprinting, um, resistance training, uh, but it can have some favorable effects on recovery for long duration aerobic exercise. So it's now seeming to have some benefits in some form or another for probably all aspects of exercise. Oh, this is fascinating. I, I could talk to you all day. So we have to midnight, so we'll keep going. <laughs> We do. We have a few hours to kill. So, all right. You talked about the loading mm. phase and not, not necessary if you just take three grams over about 30 days. How long does it stay in your system? Like if, when you travel, yeah. I know you're in France and you have the gummies. Yeah. <laughs> do you travel all the time with creatine? Yeah. So let me just back up a little bit when we talked about the loading phase uh, that's primarily at a younger age where the loading phase is probably not considered necessary okay. as we get older we may need that extra loading phase and we've done some meta-analysis to show it can have some advantageous effects but we can talk about the age effect a little bit later on okay. but regarding travel i always i've taken creatine almost daily for a decade um i just know the benefits of it i'm biased because i do research it and I take uh, the powder and or the potential gummies that are new on the market. Mm -hmm. um, and I take a higher dose just because I'm looking at it from a brain health, a bone health, immune health, and muscle health perspective. So personally, I take about 10 grams a day. Um, I might go a little bit higher if I'm really sleep deprived, which seems to be almost every day nowadays. <laughs> but again, the dosages could be dictated by the tissue that you're looking at. Okay, so have you ever been stopped in an airport? <laughs> I, I have not. No, I haven't. Never? They probably, probably say oh. I'm bald, so how much creatine can you have, right? We can talk about that. <laughs> My kids are like, Mom, if we miss our plane because right. your creatine gets flagged again, I'm like, all right, so maybe I should put it in the check bag. Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> so how long, if someone just ran out of it or they could not get get it for a while mm -hmm. how long does it stay in your system before you're depleted and then you would have to kind of build it back up again yeah we have a few studies that have looked at that um and eric holtman the 1996 legendary study is probably the best one that where they looked at uh, saturation in the muscle it takes about 28 to 30 days for those elevated creatine stores to come back to pre-supplementation levels so people immediately say, okay, I can only go off it for 30 days and I'll come back to baseline. And I say, no, 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 that's not what that means. That simply means that the creatine levels that were elevated have come back to baseline. However, if you continue to work out, you are not going to lose your gains. You may lose one or two reps over time. You may suffer some decreases a little bit in endurance. But we don't think just because your creatine stores came back to pre-exercise pre-supplementation levels you're going to lose all those benefits they last a long period of time do you think I, I get asked this all the time do you think that it's okay to take only on exercise days or even just like every other day so there's evidence 
to suggest that you only need to take it on exercise days. There's also evidence to suggest, hey, why not take it every day? I think with the expansion of the brain health benefits, I'm a big proponent now of taking it every day. So if you do weight training, just say three days a week and cardio three days a week or, or whatever, I think you can take it on the days you work out, but it doesn't hurt to take it every day because that's where you may need it to accumulate in the brain. The, the brain is very resistant to allowing exogenous or supplementation creatine in it's easy to get into the muscle so that's why i like to promote taking it on a daily basis if the individual is looking at it from a total body perspective and i hope people are starting to to realize it seems to have some total body uh, benefits not just for your muscle but mm -hmm. for the females watching especially we can talk about the benefits for bone health and then of course everybody is really interested in the potential brain health benefits oh I love that. Yes, we're going to get to that. That is on the list. So <clears throat> if you are, if you're taking it, does it matter what time of day? That's another question. That comes Excellent up. question. The answer is no. You can take it anytime that's convenient to you. There is some theory um, based on some seminal research that prior muscle contractions seem to stimulate its uptake into the muscle. So logically, you would say, hey, if I take it after I work out, that's very beneficial. And there's no reason to suggest not. There's also a good reason to suggest, hey, if you take it beforehand, uh, blood flow to the muscle when you're working out may help accelerate the delivery to it. Currently, we're not seeing any differences by the timing of creatine. It seems to be viable in the morning before you work out. We've shown you can consume it uh, during your workout session and after. So unlike caffeine, which will peak in the bloodstream and then dissipate, creatine needs to accumulate in your tissues. So I think you can take it at any time uh, throughout the day. The only time that I'm seeing research suggests there's a, a caution is with caffeine. There seems to be an accumulating research. They may oppose one another, and that kind of is okay. You take caffeine before you work out and then take creatine other times throughout the day if you want. So take it whenever you're going to remember, just like your pills. It's just like the <laughs> word people often say, what's the best exercise? I say it's the one you're going to do. Yes. You take creatine when it's convenient and sustainable for you. Okay, perfect. My son dry scoops yep. it into his mouth. Yeah, I'm like fine with dry scooping, but it is an osmotic compound. Now, you're probably better off to have it with solution. But again, your GI tract is very aqueous. So you're going to get some intracellular water helping it get into the bloodstream. Oh, amazing. Okay, we're going to ask, we're going to answer Scott's question. Can I take creatine with my protein? Yes, Scott knows the answer. Of course, you can take creatine with protein. There's been a few studies that have shown that the combination can increase lean tissue mass in young and potentially older adults as well. Okay, so let's touch on that topic next. As far as age, yes. what is the age range that, is an, it, that it's appropriate to take creatine? So I'm going to uh, be careful with my recommendations or suggestions. So let's start young. We now know that there's some preliminary evidence for pregnancy in some females, Stacey Ellery in the United States or in, in Australia, and of course, Abby Smith-Ryan has looked at some of the ideas. There's some potential for some benefits, not only for embryonic development, but also for the, mo uh, the mother as well. But it's in its infancy, and we still need a lot of work to be done on that. When we move up into children and adolescents, two good colleagues of mine, Chad Gersick and Andrew Yagam in the United States, have shown currently that creatine is safe and viable 
um, from a subjective point of view for ch uh, children and adolescents performing exercise and maintaining health. That simply means it doesn't cause any adverse effects from a GI tract or nausea perspective more than placebo. However, this is important. No study has looked at blood biomarkers in children, and that's currently being done. So when it says, can my, ch can my child or a teenager take creatine? The answer is yes, but with a little caveat that we still need to look at more blood biomarkers down the road to make sure it's not having any detrimental effects. As it currently stands, creatine is completely safe for children. Now we move up into adults, and that's where the vast majority of research is looked at. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, there's no issue with that. We've looked at high dose creatine for multiple years from ages 20 all the way up to 70. It has no adverse effect on the kidney or liver. And so at the end of the day, I conclude that creatine collectively is a very safe and viable intervention. Okay. I'm just going to pop some of these questions in so I don't forget about them. Is there a saturation point when the muscle tissue will not absorb anymore? So it will get to about something called 160 millimoles of dry muscle, which will mean nothing for, to most viewers, but there seems to be a ceiling. And once you hit the ceiling, then you're basically relying on your ability to degrade creatine throughout the day. We have degraded to creatinine about two grams a day. So really you only need to probably take in two to three grams in addition to what you're degrading. And that's where this five gram magical uh, uh, dose seems to play. But once the muscle is saturated, you will excrete the creatine or new research is suggesting maybe the bone or brain will take up the excess that's not being taken into the muscle. No way. Yeah. It's not wasteful. Not wasteful <laughs> dosages, no. Okay, so let's move on to the research that is not about power and strength and muscle, because this is the most fascinating to me. And I think for the women that, you know, might not be buying into the strength training yet, but clearly there's other benefits. So what does the current research say about anyone in their females, I mean, I'm sure it's the same for males, but females specifically postmenopausal and premenopausal. So let's start with premenopausal. That encompasses everything during even up to the perimenopausal stage. Um, so overall, creatine and exercise is very viable and effective for improving measures of performance. So strength, power, and endurance, extremely important for maintaining activities of daily living. It also improves functionality, your ability to perform those activities of daily living very easily. Then we get into lean tissue mass. Multiple studies have shown that the combination can improve some measures of lean tissue and muscle growth. But then, especially for females, I think this is probably the most interesting area. It's when it comes to bone. And of course, unfortunately, after the age of 40, 80% of females are at a heightened risk for osteoporosis. So the theory, and we sort of looked at this by accident, if the muscle is growing, maybe that's going to pull on the bone and cause an increase in bone mineral density. And if, if that's true, that could have vast implications for offsetting bone-related diseases. So we chose a pile, or the population postmenopausal females. Uh, postmenopause simply means 12 months or longer since the cessation of your last menstrual cycle. And unfortunately, then your ovaries are not producing enough estrogen to maintain the anabolic environment for bone growth. And lo and behold, our first pilot study simply showed that a year of weight training 
three times a week supervised and creatine about eight grams a day seem to attenuate or decrease the rate of bone mineral loss in the hip. So this was quite fascinating. Now look at the other group. This is a whole year of resistance training in a group of postmenopausal females. They actually experienced bone loss. So even weight training wasn't enough to rescue or preserve the integrity around the hip. And of course, the hip is one of the main reasons for fracture and hip replacement surgery. We thought maybe one year wasn't enough. So we just published this seminal study this year in medicine and science and sports and exercise. And then the big thing was that we gave two years of creatine at an even higher dose. So we thought maybe we give more and we gave almost 11 grams a day for two straight years. And that seemed to improve measures of bone strength and bone geometry and we focus on the hip. So we consider, although the results, the magnitude of response was small, it was still positive. So what does this mean? A postmenopausal female should exercise and mm -hmm. creatine may provide some small favorable effects around an area very prone for hip replacement or potentially falls and fracture later on in life. And so this is an area where we think this is clinically significant. The other big thing, if someone's saying, is it safe? kidney and liver enzymes uh, on an annual basis and high dose creatine had no greater adverse effects compared to placebo. So it's probably the study that's going to get cited the most where it's safe and viable uh, for a long period of time. Well, I mean, it isn't creatine aside from, I think, caffeine, the most studied supplement. It's, it might have taken over caffeine now. I know there's over a thousand peer-reviewed studies. Caffeine is everybody's favorite. <laughs> Um, it's probably <laughs> neck and neck right up there. Protein would be up there as well. But I think creatine has kind of taken on new momentum. It kind of had a lull there, as you mentioned, for about 20 years because we thought we knew everything about it. Hey, if it was all based on muscle, we kind of have a good idea. And then mm -hmm. we started to look at other tissues in the body. Okay, so I have a friend that I was just writing with yesterday that had a traumatic brain injury mm -hmm. two years ago from a bike crash. Is there research that it helps with like a TBI? So there is. Now let's look at uh, creatine before experiencing a TBI. You don't have a crystal ball, so they had to do this in rodent models. And lo and behold, when these rodents gave, or were, uh, had ingested creatine and then they were surgically induced with a TBI, the creatine group actually had substantial benefits compared to placebo. So that's where it sort of blossomed. Can we give football players before they start the season creatine? And if they inevitably get a concussion, could that speed up the recovery aspects? Well, it's very difficult to do that because a lot of people are already on creatine or we don't want anybody to suffer a concussion. So we're hoping this doesn't come to light, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But the only study was done in Scotland in children. And now this was an interesting uh, open label study where these children, when they did suffer head trauma, so concussion or other types of trauma, were immediately randomized to 0 0.4 grams per kilogram of creatine. So if you go on the scale and you're 70 kilograms, that individual got 28 grams of creatine. So a higher dose, but they're again, smaller in stature. And lo and behold, when they measured uh, recovery uh, three and six months later, the children who were on creatine recovered much quicker functionality, activities of daily living, decrease in headaches, and an improvement in speech compared to the children who didn't. So as it stands, there's some preliminary data to suggest it can have some favorable effects. 
We need long-term trials with over 200, I think was the last sample size calculation to adequately see how can this improve symptoms of concussion. But I sort of take a step back. We're not seeing any negative effects. Mm -hmm. If anything, it could have some brain benefits. So if you're in a sport that's susceptible to head trauma, soccer, hockey, um, uh, football, UFC, I see no reason to take creatine beforehand. If anything, it might help if you do suffer some head trauma. And we're certainly not seeing any detrimental effects. In other words, we're not seeing someone have greater symptoms by being on creatine. Okay. So are there any other, anything that we have not discussed mm -hmm. as far as brain health yeah. or I, I don't know, even autoimmune disease, anything that creatine can benefit? Yeah. So I think a huge interest is on the brain. So there is evidence that creatine supplementation can get into the brain. So unlike muscle, the brain has the blood brain barrier. So it's mm -hmm. very resistant to creatine from your diet or supplementation. Um, it also makes its own creatine. So the theory is that unlike muscle, which only needs a little bit, the, the brain may need a lot more to get in sufficiently to accumulate. But there is good evidence to suggest that dosages, maybe 20 grams a day are very viable uh, mm -hmm. to accumulate in the brain. And then if you have elevated brain creatine, that could probably have some benefits to brain bioenergetics. There's preliminary data that it can actually reduce symptoms of depression and anxiety. We're not seeing a lot of great promise in neurological conditions, um, but we are seeing some promise for those who have multiple sclerosis. Uh, and the other one is sort of changing. If you listen to a podcast I gave probably two months, my view on this is sort of changing. We had preliminary data to suggest that it improved cognition. But now more research is coming out that we think it only improves cognition during really highly metabolically stressed environments such as sleep deprivation or hypoxia or severe mental fatigue. So let me preface that. If you're a young, healthy individual that is not sleep deprived, you're not climbing Everest, you feel fine, you may not experience any of the benefits. But older adults or people who suffer severe sleep deprivation, working overnight, students, mm -hmm. professors writing grants, that's where you might see some small beneficial effects. Wow. Oh, my. This is so fascinating. I love it. Okay. So for people, because this is another question that I get asked all the time. For some women, they're like, it just doesn't work. I have GI issues. Mm -hmm. Is there anything to do about that? or? I don't know, how would you maybe go about fixing that? Yeah, my, um, we're planning a study to look at multiple smaller dosages. Does that have any greater effect? The theory here is that if you take multiple smaller dosages, it's probably not gonna drag as much water per dose, and that's probably not gonna lead to a lot of GI issues. So creatine will get through your small intestine through these transporters or doorways, just like protein and glucose does, mm -hmm. but it does drag a little bit of water because it's linked to sodium. So when people say I have GI tract irritation or I just don't feel well or I feel nauseous on high dose creatine, I say divide that, don't go any lower than two grams. Um, there was a study in 1992 that one gram doesn't elevate your blood creatine levels enough to get into the cell, but over that seems to have a gradual effect. So multiple two gram dosages. Now, going back to the beginning of our, our talk, if you're just looking at it from a muscle, maybe taking two to three grams a day is fine. You can probably take that in one bolus in your yogurt or in water, you probably won't notice an effect. 
But if you're taking multiple dosages, I would say split those up and probably take it with food and you probably won't notice any of the issues with that. Oh, perfect. So, okay. If you, let's see. Oh, a question just came in. I'm sorry. I don't want to, I don't want to miss that. Okay. How, how about colitis or other similar issues? Does that have anything? There's some preliminary evidence that it can decrease individuals with IBF, uh, Crohn's and or colitis. It probably won't cause a flare up, but the theory could be there if you're taking high dosages. So my speculation is if you have any IBS issues, take smaller dosages, maybe start with the lowest, maybe two to three grams. Try that for about a week or two and see how you do. Um, but it certainly has been shown in a few studies to decrease the inflammatory response. And that's something that creatine um, uh, individuals interested are not probably that aware of the anti-inflammatory effects of creatine. It's very important from a recovery perspective. Oh, the endurance athletes will love that. <laughs> okay, Scott gets the gold star for asking all the amazing questions. Okay. Any situations or conditions where creatine levels in the brain is reduced? Well, there's many. So we definitely know during depression or anxiety or any neurological d disease, we actually think there's a reduction in phosphocreatine levels. Um, so that could be uh, uh, hugely important. We think concussion for sure, the brain creatine levels will come down. And, and Scott and I work with a, a great colleague in Norway, one of the best researchers in the world, Serge Osiak, and he has a, a magnet who can measure brain creatine levels. Um, but there's only a few research groups in the world, Bruno Gualiano and Hamilton Rochelle and Brazil as well. Um, so we're very fortunate to work with these individuals and, and creatine can overcome some of those decrements. So that's why a lot more research in this area uh, seems to, to be warranted. We published that paper called Heads Up for Creatine. And we think probably in the next 20 years, the focus will be on the neck up. And we're just trying to improve all aspects to make people uh, sort of have reduced or improved mental health capacity getting through the, the stressors of the day. And, you know, could it have helped during COVID with the mental health issues? We don't know, um, but there's a lot of potential with that as well. Isn't this so exciting for you that you get to just be just yeah. right on the, at the front? Fire, but I, I don't know. <laughs> so when someone is looking for a creatine product, mm -hmm. is there, I mean, can you buy and or is all creatine the same? So there's, let me, how can I say this? There's a lot of marketed forms of creatine out there. And Richard yeah. Kreider, who's one of the world's best researchers, he published an excellent paper uh, last year looking at all the bioavailability, safety, and efficacy of all kinds of marketed creatine. And lo and behold, nothing's changed. Creatine monohydrate. So all it is is a creatine molecule linked with water. When you ingest it, the water molecules dissolve. So the creatine molecule that's left is identical to what's uh, produced in the brain and liver. Um, and that's why we respond extremely well to monohydrate. So our research only focuses on monohydrate and the vast majority of evidence-based research focuses on monohydrate. Now, if people want to try all these fancy new marketed forms out there, that's fine. But please note, whatever you're buying, it has to be creatine. It has to get in the blood like creatine and it has to get into the tissues. So I know creatine monohydrate was boring. The labeling is kind of boring. It's nothing fancy and everybody wants something new and exciting. But why mess with a good thing? It works. It's reliable. And the most important, it's safe. We're not really sure about the safety profile of all these other forms of creatine. Um, and so that's why we stick with creatine monohydrate from a 
global perspective. Okay, per perfect. So are there any contraindications with, I mean, for some people that maybe should not take creatine? Well, I think if you're taking massive dietary quantities of creatine through red meat or seafood, you may not experience some of the noticeable effects. Uh, mm -hmm. Pregnancy is an area that we still don't know much about. So I think you should talk to your doctor if you're considering it. Uh, currently, the evidence that we have, there's no detrimental effects. Um, it's very similar to a protein. So it's kind of makes sense that you can consume it. Um, but for anybody there's not really any other contraindications to it. We're naturally producing it. So that's one of the main reasons it's probably safe and very viable uh, for most individuals. Okay, so kidney, liver, no issues. Oh, the only area we look at from an experimental perspective, if you have pre-existing liver or kidney abnormalities, creatine can make those organs work a little bit more. So that's why you wanna to talk to your GP or nephrologist or hepatologist but for the most part, we try to look at a dosing pattern that's not gonna regulate that as much. Mm -hmm. But for your viewers, most people say, oh my God, I went to my doctor and I had elevated creatinine. I'm like, yeah, that's very logical and it kind of makes sense. When you take creatine and it gets in the muscle, it's broken down to a byproduct called creatinine. And most GPs use creatinine as an estimated um, range, if you will, of kidney function. And so they see elevated creatinine in the blood and then they say your kidneys are not working properly. No, that's not what it necessarily means because when you stop creatine, everything comes back to normal. So you didn't have impaired kidney function. It was just creatine getting broken down to creatinine. So it causes a lot of worry and stress in a lot of people. I literally just had blood work that came back with, with that exact same information that I was yeah. sweating about like yeah. last week. So. You want to tell your doctor you're on creatine or high protein because it's going to come back typically elevated yeah. and they'll say if they know much about creatine metabolism um that's it's very fine you know? okay wonderful news for so many people out there okay so again let's just kind of wrap up if someone is going to take it mm -hmm. we, we want to look for creatine monohydrate that's just that that's the only that's the only thing and I mean, there's millions of products online that I think are all really good. There are some not great ones, but they're all really good. I'm only, somebody asked a question about the gummies. I'm only familiar with the one gummy brand that try create. Yeah, there's, the other thing when you're looking is you want to have a third party tested or independently tested to make sure there's no other ingredients or contaminants in there. So you're going to want to look for certain labeling on reputable products. The, the gummies are sort of new to me either. There's not a study that has compared gummies versus powder versus placebo. Um, but there's about four or five companies out there right now marketing the gummy gummies. Mm -hmm. uh, they're extremely viable potentially for traveling. Uh, they probably taste really good. Um, <laughs> and people say, I don't want to deal with messy powder and all that. So there's a lot of potential benefits to that. Uh, what needs to happen is we need to show that the gummies get in the bloodstream mm -hmm. and then they get taken up into the tissue. So those are some areas for future research, which we are very interested in doing as well. I love that. Okay. So we get the creatine and then we potentially do a loading phase. Okay or not, yep. but the average the average dose outside of a loading phase is three to five milligrams if we just aren't looking for brain health and some of those yeah. additional so, benefits. Uh, three to five grams, not milligrams, oh, three to five grams. grams yes. But the lowest dose for bone that we've shown to be effective is eight grams. 
And when you look at the totality of the data in the brain, and there's a few new papers coming out, you either need to take creatine for long periods of time, many months, or take a higher dose. Mm -hmm. Most of the studies are suggesting 20 grams was good. Some lines of research suggest, well, what if you took 10 grams? We don't really know yet. Mm -hmm. But overall, when you look at a whole body perspective, five to 10 grams would be in the ballpark of hitting all the things, even including the immune system. Wow. Okay. So everyone, literally it could benefit, well, at least in my age category that I, that I work with. I mean, it's, there's so many benefits. Yeah, and the older you get, there is, we've done some evidence that there's potential for an impairment in creatine kinetics as we get older. So very similar to protein, we now have excellent evidence that as we get older, we need more protein per meal and making sure we hit our total daily amount. The theory is, I don't know if we have anabolic resistance with aging to creatine, but it's logical when we look at all our studies, it seems that the majority of studies that use a higher dose in older populations um, seem to be beneficial. And that could have a, a number of reasons for that. But hopefully the higher the amount, the, the older adult could sort of overcome some of the negative effects of aging. Oh, I'm signing up for the next study. So <laughs> if you need someone in my age range, Absolutely. I'm volunteering. <laughs> Are there any studies that you can talk about that you're working on that, ha that aren't ready to be published yet? Oh, God, so I think we have about nine papers in review, but the upcoming ones, we're going to be looking at a very high dose of creatine after a mental fatigue bout on cognition. We're actually now getting really interested. After COVID kind of went away, a mm -hmm. lot of people bought Pelotons and Tonals or workout at home, and we're now starting to see, hey, what about TheraBands as a, the exercise stimulus for people who are shut-ins, retirees, looking at the, the older population to get them active with creatine supplementation. And we're really interested in those micro dosages throughout the day versus more larger. So maybe next year I'll have evidence to suggest that more frequent, smaller dosages probably cause a greater absorption and retention compared to a really large dose. So we have a lot, I think we have eight studies planned. Um, so there's lots of stuff going on at all times, yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I'm gonna call it the miracle supplement. Okay. I'm <laughs> so, biased and I think it is pretty favorable, yeah. <laughs> Ladies, if you are not sold on creatine now, I don't know, I don't think you're ever going to be, so. Especially for females. It has so many health benefits, um, anything, especially bone health and bone strength. Those are really important for young females. Um, and then, of course, it has improvements in performance and brain biology. As well. It seems to have some benefits, some form or another, um, across the entire age spectrum, the spectrum. Wow. This has been the most incredible hour I, I promised you 45 minutes, so we're going to get off right in 45 minutes. Okay. You can get on to all of the rest of your work that you're doing. But I want to thank you so much. I am so grateful that you came on here and answered all of these questions. My audience has been so looking forward to it. So we are so grateful. Thank you for your time and thank you for your research. And I hope we can do a part two in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having having me and we'll definitely do a part two and three and four and keep okay. it going. Okay. All right. Thank you, Darren. Okay,
Thanks for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and sharing the body pod with your friends. Until next time.